Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here. In this week's Classic Masters, I had the good fortune to interview someone who truly changed my life. Determined to provide haircuts and styling services for poor and homeless people, Sister Bonnie had been a nun for many years before she then became a hairdresser and opened up a tiny salon in a shower house bathroom. A few years later, she expanded her mission by starting Franciscan Haircuts from the Heart. Her story has been featured in the Chicago Tribune, Wall Street Journal, People Magazine, and Women's Day, just to name a few. In this podcast, Sister Bonnie shares her incredible story and her passion for making a difference. I hope you'll enjoy this message and share it with your friends. Then sign up for our mailing list at mastersbywinclaybaugh.com. And remember, Masters podcasts are also available on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify podcasts. Enjoy this Masters classic interview. Hi, everybody. This is Wynn Claybaugh. Welcome to this issue of Masters. Once again, I'm just so, so grateful for the role that I get to play uh, within the beauty industry and having this platform of sharing with our master's listeners uh, people who are making a difference. And people make a difference in all sorts of ways. And, and however you identify success for you, absolutely success in your world can and should include profitability because uh, you got to keep those doors open you got to pay the rent and pay the bills and pay salaries and all those kind of things. And that's a huge big part of what we do. Also, a big part of what we do is establishing cultures uh, so people have something to belong to. And every person listening to this, you do not have to be a business owner to be participating in building and creating a culture within your salon, your school, your spa. And... Also, what we do in the beauty industry is we give back. And we make a difference in the lives of our customers, our guests, in the lives of each other. And we also make a difference locally, globally, to change the planet. And so we always look to mentors. We look for financial mentors. We look for culture mentors. And we look for mentors in how to make a difference on this planet. And that's why I'm absolutely thrilled to have, once again... Sister Bonnie here with Masters. Sister Bonnie, welcome to Masters. Thank you so very much, Gwen. It's great to be here with you in California for this interview. And this is actually the second interview that we've done with Sister Bonnie. The, the first one, we were sitting here trying to figure out how long ago that was, but you know, it was, it was a while ago. And you and I have been talking about it's time to do a recap and introduce you again to our, our Masters audience because you do have a wonderful message. And uh, the cool thing about Sister Bonnie is... Although she is a Catholic nun. Is that proper? Did I say that the right way? That's right. You'll correct me. Well, uh, it's really more correct to say I'm a Catholic sister because nuns are enclosed. But most people are just call us nuns. But really, I'm a Franciscan sister of the poor. Okay. Um, but Sister Bonnie is also a hairdresser. You are a licensed hairdresser, That's correct? That's right. Correct. So you know, give, kind of give us a, a recap of, of your story, which I love your story, and I've told your story a thousand times. So... <laughs> How did you get involved in the beauty industry, and and you know what's your mission about? Well, I got involved in the beauty industry very innocently. I went to Mass and heard the scripture passage uh, from St. Matthew, uh, chapter 6, where it says, When you fast and pray, wash your face and groom your hair. 
That's a literal translation. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be hungry and praying for 40 days of Lent, I'm going to look pretty. (laughs) So I decided to go to the budget salon in downtown Cincinnati at a store called Shillotoe's. And that day, I got a perm for $14 that changed my life. Because I went there as a health care worker, and I sat there and was getting a perm, and it suddenly dawned on me I could become a beautician for the poor. And being a Franciscan sister of the poor, I thought this would be a great service to add to what we were already doing by giving them food and clothing. So I asked to go to beauty school, and um, it's very unusual for a Catholic sister to be, you know, a cosmetologist or be in the beauty industry. So in my letter, I wrote to Mother Superior, and I said, I'd like to go to beauty school so I could provide hair care for the poor. And the thought I had was, how could they say no? Because being a Franciscan sister of the poor, wanting to do hair care for the poor, you know, they couldn't say no. And, of course, they did not say no. They said yes. And that was the inspiration for me to get into this beauty industry. And everything and everyone has come to me since that time. So prior to this, how long had you been with Franciscan Sisters of the Poor? Uh, 20 years. Okay. You were a nurse mm-hmm. and an, a hospital chaplain, correct? Correct. correct. Okay. So you go to beauty school. What was that like? Well, I was the oldest one. I was old enough to be everyone's mother there because at the time I was 43. Well, that's not so unusual because we have that age attending my schools, but I always tell people, boy, if a nun was coming to school here now, boy, would things change around here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I learned a lot while I was there. I was uh, somewhat sheltered, but I... um, I learned a lot about things I never heard of before and did not know before. So, <laughs> welcome to beauty school. Yes, yes. Right, and uh, so you, you graduate from beauty school and you open up your salon. Tell us about that. Well, after I graduated from beauty school, I went to Brazil for six months, and that's where I learned how to make do. Uh, I learned how to use sign language with cutting hair. I I learned to work in very unusual places because I was in the poorest part of Brazil. So when I came back to Cincinnati, I heard about the Mary Magdalene House, which is a shower facility for the homeless. And it was the first one like it in the country. So I went there to see if I could volunteer my services. And the person that was running the place, when I told him that, he says, oh my gosh, I have enough problems with the guys fighting. I don't need them fighting over you too. (laughs) And I said, I would love it. So to explain to us what this shower facility offers. What's, what's the service that they perform? Okay, this uh, shower facility performs a place for people to take a shower, to get clean clothes, and to have a phone and an address. They okay. do not provide uh, a place to stay. It's just it's a personal care facility. Do they provide food? No. Okay, so, no. so the homeless would go there however often, once a day, once a week, however often they, they care to. Yes. They can turn in dirty laundry. Yes, they turn and in. And get their laundry back clean. That's right. As well as take a shower and have an address, have a phone, things yes. like that. Yes. Perfect. They, yes. So it was the first one like it in the country. And then I come there and say, you know, I want to provide them with haircuts. It was like, oh, my gosh. You know, these. When I went there the very first day, I walked in there, and the room was filled. There were people laying on the floor sleeping. 
because you know it was comfortable there right. and the aroma of body odor and really a stench mm-hmm. and the long hair it was just like overwhelming so I was just inspired to say I wanted to volunteer to cut hair here so when they showed me the handicapped bathroom I said this would make an excellent place for me to cut hair And the director said, well, he would have to check with his boss, the executive director, the board of trustees. And they said, yes, they want me to come there to cut hair. So we got the place licensed. Now, this is unheard of, but this bathroom was licensed for a while as a salon. And state board inspector came. State Board of Cosmetology in Ohio. Yep, came. And they did license it for a while. And... um, I thought if anybody's got the courage to come in this part of town and to walk through the people that were gathered there, they got to be pretty determined. <laughs> and they did pass our state board inspection. What, what was their reaction to this? Were they excited that you were doing this? No, they looked and they got out in a big hurry. Okay. So uh, it was very uncomfortable for them right. to, to be there. But anyway, we put a, a styling chair in this handicapped bathroom And uh, the very first day I worked there, I had nine clients. And I was so touched because they said, I feel human again. And I thought, oh, my gosh. One fellow did not want to leave. And he he just kept looking in the mirror and says, I can't believe this. I don't know myself because I had taken off so much hair and his beard and really showed his face for the first time. And he was cold, and he was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, and to this day, I still see that fellow. The maintenance man taught me how to cut black men's hair because where I went to school, we all had Caucasian people. And so I was deeply uh, grateful that he showed me how to cut black men's hair and beards and gave me the terminology, you know, they wanted to shape up uh, and line and stuff like that. So... It's interesting that I learned from the non-professionals. So, and then the second time I went, we had twice as many people. Then each week it continued to grow. So, uh, you said twice as many. Your first day was nine haircuts. That day, the second day was eighteen haircuts, Mm -hmm. and it keeps on growing from there. Yes, that's a lot of haircuts. That's a lot of haircuts. It was like assembly line. People sat down. I cut their hair. They grabbed the broom and they swept up. And the next person came. Now, there was some wonderful people who helped you and supported you along the way. Can you talk about who those people were? Oh, yes. I met Frederick Holzberger. I love Frederick. Yes. What an amazing man. Yes. In fact, Tuesday night, they're going to honor him as a, as a hero, a businessman's hero. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Frederick Holzberger, his story is really something. Um, when he was a child, his father died, and it was my community of sisters that fed and clothed him and his brothers and helped his mother for many, many years. And when he found out I was a Franciscan sister of the poor doing haircuts for the poor and homeless, he said that he would help me in any way that he could. Mm. And he has given us you know, lots of financial support. He's given me Aveda products all these years. Wow. And he took my dream of having a mobile beauty salon in a Winnebago And he has that, and his company is the one who uh, has the privilege of connecting with the poor and homeless in various cities. And he gets the uh, stylists from the Aveda Concept Salons to do the work. 
So he has a, a mobile salon, and hairdressers volunteer, and they go from city to city. That's right. Uh-huh. Wow. And that was your vision, your idea. Mm-hmm. I shared it with him. I get the credit for being the inspiration. But he, he owns it, and he gets all the responsibilities that go with it. Wow. Now, how long were you cutting hair in that bathroom at the shower facility? Seven years. Seven, seven years, years were there. Seven years, once a week. We closed the handicapped bathroom and made it into a salon because they needed the handicapped bathroom for the homeless women that would come there. Okay. And, and how many clients did you do in those seven years? Well, actually over 10,000. 10,000. 10,000, yes. We kept track of them. And uh, we had very strict rules and regulations that had to be six weeks since they've had a haircut. They had to be sober. They had to be cooperative. They weren't allowed to have weapons back there with us. And they had to be in obvious need of a haircut. Uh, I never saw the long list of people that wanted to have a haircut. I had my own personal bouncer out front. (laughs) (laughs) And literally, you know, sometimes these guys were a little feisty. Right. And uh, so I always refer to him as my bouncer. Right. 10,000 people. That's amazing. Now, eventually, you moved out of that shower facility. Tell us about that. Well, I wanted to get out of that bathroom. Seven years was long enough, and I wanted to... How big was this bathroom? Give us a visual. Oh, it was... I don't know square footage-wise, but it was a little bit larger than a regular bathroom. But it wasn't spacious because when the two of us worked together... We literally bumped elbows and bumped butts. Yeah. So, so it was cozy. Right. <laughs> and how I got out of the handicapped bathroom, I told Vernon Ferrier, who uh, was working with me, that I needed $5,000 more uh, to get out of there because I needed 9000 to rehab an area across the street. So I told him he should get me 5000 more. And um, so he went and asked a construction company where he had parked his car, and they said that they did not give the money, but sometimes they do the work. So um, he called me and said, hey, Bonnie, they said they might help us. So to make a long story short, $50,000 later, we have a walk-in salon in the heart of the poverty area, a half a block away from the shower house, and we're located right next door to the food department where families come to get bags of food and where the homeless come to get a sandwich, and they literally were in front of my salon waiting until the sandwich window opened. So they talk about location, location, location. (laughs) I had the perfect location until a year ago. When the social service center moved out, they moved a mile down the road, And now most of those buildings in our neighborhood are being remodeled for the upper class to come in. So, But the shower house is still there, so our business is cut down somewhat, but that's only part of my program. I always like the master's CDs to be a call to action because I believe that the purpose of all education is to change behavior. If we listen to these and then nothing changes, nothing happens, then we don't learn anything. And how we learn is by change in behavior. So you're going to give us a call to action. How can we support you? How can we get involved? Well, after I got out of the bathroom into this walk-in salon, that the prime location, I got so busy that all the people that came there, we could not service them. So I thought if I could give out vouchers or gift certificates for haircuts 
to these people and uh, partner with the social service centers and the, the schools that work with poor children that they could determine who qualifies, who's in the 100% poverty level, who is an obvious need of a haircut. That would be a good addition along to the food and clothing and job skills that they would have. And then I thought, well, I shouldn't get all the beauty schools involved and salons that are located on the bus line and that charge a lower rate than the high-priced salons. So the idea, I thought, was, was pretty good, and I checked it out with some of my other members of the community, and they said, yeah, I think that will work. So I went ahead and I pursued that and then found a Franciscan Haircuts from the Heart in which we give out gift certificates through these approved social service centers, and we have over 100 of these agencies that we partner with, and we have 26 schools and salons that will accept clients with our gift certificate. Okay, so you create the certificate as a gift certificate that pays for a haircut. That's right. And so people in need who are identified by these different agencies that you mentioned, people who are in need can take the certificate into these schools or salons get a haircut, and the certificate pays for the haircut. Well, the, the salon or school, they send the, the gift certificates back to us once a month, Okay. and then we reimburse them. Okay. Okay. Now, our prices are we pay no more than $10 for a haircut okay. and no more than $45 for a perm or a relaxer. Okay. And we only pay for the service. We do not pay for the shampoo Okay. or the curling iron, or the beard trim, or the mustache trim. We let the salons and schools volunteer those parts of the services. And the reason is that so many people told me, they said, oh, Sister Bonnie, I'd love to come to volunteer with you, but I am afraid to come downtown. And I understand that. Okay. I would not allow my nieces or nephews to go to where I work because there's just so much crime in that area. Oh, I love I love your message with that. Rather than shut people down for their unwillingness to come to where you cut hair, you still help them feel comfortable in whatever ways that they feel comfortable in getting involved and giving back. Mm -hmm. And they can volunteer as much as they want, you know, and it works very well that way, and I think they feel very good about helping us. And um, I hear from so many people that this is the best program that was ever ever founded or started and one person said that where can you go to get so much for so little and we know that we can't get into our computers we can't get into our cell phones unless we have a password well giving somebody a haircut opens the doors of opportunity it's like their password to get into society again it's their password to get into the job market is their password just to maybe a change of attitude about themselves, and it is so small, but oh, what a difference it makes, you know, in our lives just to get, you know, into our computers, into our cell phones, and what it does for these people. And I just wish every person that you know donates to our organization, I wish they could come and see where their money goes and what they do for people. I wish they could receive the hugs. I wish they could see the delight in people's eyes as they are getting their hair cut and when they leave and how they they grab that broom and almost dance with the broom as they sweep up their hair. It's a total difference in people. You had shared with me before that 
when a family is in crises financially, obviously what goes first is the budget to pay for haircuts. Exactly. So that little kid going to grade school now all of a sudden isn't groomed. He's uh, made fun of. Made fun of. He's now a target. And the teachers, right. you know, they're human. Everybody is affected by the appearance of a child, I believe. Right. And when that child comes in groomed, it's, it just makes all the difference in the world. It makes a difference in the way people respond to that child. You know, the parents, the teachers, whole, all of society huh. changes their response to a well-groomed child as, as to one who is not groomed. Do you have any statistics on how many people you're serving? How many people are actually able to take advantage of these certificates, haircuts from the heart? We probably, I think it's about 1,300 a year wow. that get the gift certificate, and we do that many in the walk-in salon. Okay. We're a very small organization. There's only two of us, and I'm the one who's there four days a week. So you're servicing 1,300 customers a year, and then another 1,300 people are going to these schools or salons with the Haircuts from the Heart certificate. That's right. Okay. So really, 1300 times $10, you're raising 13000 a year to pay for this. Mm-hmm. But then we got perms that perms, are okay. they're a little bit more expensive, you know, $45. Our budget last year, I think, was like $30,000. Okay. Can I ask you, is it difficult to raise that money? Is that a lot of work? To raise that kind of money every year? It is an awful lot of work. Yeah. A lot of work. I'm always on, on call. I'm right. always on, you know, on the job uh, looking for opportunities. Okay. Uh, life would be a lot easier if I didn't have to raise the money okay. to pay for all these haircuts. But I love what I'm doing. Uh, I know it's my mission in life. I do it with passion and conviction that I know it is something that can change a person's life. I also know you well enough to know that you have a higher goal, too. It's not just 2,600 people a oh. year that you want to influence with this program. It's greater than that. What is it? I would like to see every child and any person who was unable to pay the price of a haircut, that they would be able to receive a professional haircut that would help them up to the next level, would be a hand up to help them to improve their lives 2,600 isn't that many. That's just in one little city. Right. I would like to see this program spread through all, all the world, but especially here in the United States. Okay, so somebody listening to this, how would they create something like this within their own little city? If somebody listening to this is, has influence with their own salon or a group of salons or a beauty school, and they're like, well, you know what, I like that. And, we, yeah, we have a bunch of hairdressers who are sitting in the lunchroom. We could all do an extra haircut a day or an extra haircut a week. Talk to us. How would they get that started? Well, I think every salon, every city will be unique for this. I believe that if um, they could find a way to give out gift certificates for haircuts through an approved social service agency, quote, in their neighborhood, or a school that has a lot of poor children, agree with the social worker there or the school nurse or the, the teachers that this is what you want to do. You could limit the number. You could limit the days when these people, you know, could receive these haircuts and the time when it might be low time in the salon, right. perhaps not on a Friday or Saturday. 
maybe you know after school time that there would be a couple hours there. Mm-hmm. I just think every salon could be very creative in the way of doing this. They probably just never thought of doing this. And the thing is that you got to do it when the people can be available. And also for the working poor, we need to help them to look good and feel good. If you get somebody that's making minimum wage and has a family, they have to be able to come to the salon at a time that is convenient for them. Not, not everybody works during the day shift. They may be working evenings and nights and may have to be coordinated with the family or with this group of people as to when they could come there. You're not just saying that it's strictly for the homeless. It could be a family who, they they have a house, or they have an apartment, they have a job, but they're still on a very strict budget, and their kids are going ungroomed. That's right. There's value, because I think maybe people listening to this, and we will address it, I think there are people listening to this thinking, I'm sorry, I'm just not comfortable with having the homeless in my salon, and that's not entirely what you're talking about. No, no. There are so many poor people there who are barely making ends meet. So if they could be given a reduced rate for a haircut, I just learned recently, and I, I like this, the difference between somebody that enables a person to continue where they are, or are they a, a good Samaritan? You know, the good Samaritan is somebody that reaches out when somebody is bleeding and dying and there, you know, to help that person to get better. An enabler is somebody who just enables people to continue in their current behavior and not moving up. So I believe there would be a way to help people to better their lives by asking them to pay something for a haircut because when they have to make an investment, it's appreciated more. I've learned that the hard way. When I first started to work, I was afraid to have money on me because I was in an area of town that was very high crime rate. But since that time, we have changed that. We now require the people that come into the salon where I work, they have to come either with some money or with aluminum cans that I recycle. People that go through the social service center or through the school are already trying to improve their lives. Some of the people I deal with are really the skid road alcoholics, the mentally ill, the drug addicts. So we're dealing with two different classes of people. So I believe it would be good to check to see if there would be a way that they could ask us a requirement of some payment for these haircuts, maybe a dollar but some investment that they would make into this or that they would do some type of community service. Okay. And what do you say to that person then listening to this who is thinking, you know what, people just take advantage of this. How do I know that they're really in need? What do you say to that person? Well, you have to follow your own heart, <laughs> your yeah. own gut reaction. Right. But I don't know of anyone who was ever harmed in uh, receiving a haircut. Okay. Sometimes it's a tough call. Right. There are, I think we all have our days, and I have my days when I feel like, oh, I'm being taken advantage of. And then I, I know that there are days when I feel more generous, more compassionate than other days. I think it's the human condition. <laughs> you know, catch me on a bad day. <laughs> Dang. Sister Bonnie has those days. I don't feel so bad about myself now. Okay. 
can you tell us one of your favorite stories? One of your favorite stories of how how what you do, you just were standing back in awe like, wow, I really make a difference. What's one of your favorite stories? This fellow, Juan, had been coming in for some time for a haircut, and he's, as, he's mentally ill, as is his wife. And he came in there, and there were several people waiting in the waiting room, and he was dressed fairly nice. I mean, he was secondhand clothes, but he looked good. And somebody said, hey, man, why don't you get a job? And he stopped in his tracks, and he said, I want a soul-satisfying job. Hmm. And I thought, wow. Juan still comes to the salon, and he is not working. But I will never, ever forget his statement, I want a soul-satisfying job. And you know when? That's what I have. It's a soul-satisfying job. To see the expression on these people's faces, it is just just amazing. There are so many stories of uh, people that just give me a hug. And sometimes, you know, I withdraw a little bit because of their aroma. They haven't been to the shower house yet. But I, I know that there but for the grace of God go I. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe just one little... Uh, difference in my mental health could put me where they are. Mm-hmm. And when people come back and they tell me, I got the job, wow, you know, it makes all the difference in the world. So. Wow. Talk to us about how do we remove the the fear and the stigma attached to some of the people that you are serving and I, I've told this story before that after I flew to Cincinnati and spent time with you, however long ago that was, in 1999 or whenever that was, and we did the first master's interview, I think that you were probably the first person that kind of coached me and, and taught me about homelessness. Because prior to that, I had a lot of fear and stigma attached to it. And it was soon after that a homeless man showed up in front of my school in Provo, Utah. First of all, we rarely have homeless people on the streets in Provo, Utah. And there he is in front of my school. And I could have just followed through with what I normally do and called the police to have him removed. You know, that was my you know, fear, and I'm a businessman, and this hurts business, and blah, blah, blah. Instead, I thought, well, you know, I just spent time with Sister Bonnie. I should have learned something and take something back. And so what I did was I invited him in and had him sit in the reception area, made sure that he was comfortable, went to the back and said, who wants to be a daymaker, you know? bunch of people raised their hands. I'm like, okay, you come with me. Here's what you're going to do. And, you know, two hours later, he left there groomed, shampooed, talked to, listened to. And it was the feeling that that sent throughout my school that day or that week or that month or that year was, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't just a place where we earn a paycheck. This is a place that does more than that. So we need those kind of mentors and we need those life lessons to help us get over our own fears. Talk to us about that. How do we overcome the fear attached to homelessness? Well, for those of you who are listening, I wish you could see the tears in Wynn's eyes as he relates that story to me. And I a little choked up too because I have been in that situation many times where these people are standing outside my door who need encouragement to come in. And I open the door and say, would you like a haircut? 
And they are just, oh, yes, yes, can I please? And it is so touching. I know the volunteers that work with me, when we get to do really a total makeover on somebody, it is just like, you know, we almost want to dance with them because they are so, it's such a rejuvenating experience. But the question is how to overcome the fear. I believe that when we reach out in trust and faith and love, when we project that out, that is what they get. And that's what they feel, and that's what they receive, and that is what they're going to come back at us with, is trust and faith and love. In the 18 years I've been in Cincinnati, no one has ever attacked me or threatened me. Now I am a, I use prudence, and I believe my guardian angel is with me. But I really try to project out love and trust. And um, sometimes I even project my guardian angel to the other person. My mother taught me to be aware the guardian angels were always with me. So I just say the guardian angel protect, you know, the client and protect me. So I just reach out and love and trust. And it's amazing what happens because I do believe we send an aura. We send out a feeling that people pick up. As I say, the walls can talk while the walls, my whole being around me projects out there if I'm trusting and receptive to that person. And it's amazing what happens. As you're sitting here talking, I'm thinking, okay, well, I, I own a beauty school. I could easily connect with the local grade school and talk to the counselors there and here's a hundred certificates. I mean, it, it, I wouldn't even notice, you know, a hundred people coming through my school a month. No. I wouldn't even notice that. Mm-mm. That would put no dent. That You're talking the bottom line of the Absolutely. finances. But what would it do for your heart yeah. and for the, their staff and for the students? It would give them an education of dealing with people of other financial backgrounds, educationally, uh, even, you know, how, how clean they are. Yeah. The poor do not smell good at times. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the rich got too much perfume on. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. we got to balance that out a little bit. You know, and I always remember, as I, I take care of the poorest of the poor, I think someday there's going to be another Mr. Holzberger that's going to come through. Because when he was a child, my sisters reached out to him and fed and clothed him for years. Mm -hmm. And he is paying back society, and he is paying back the people, you know. He is educating the people in his company to reach out to the poor. And it just, just amazes me how this works in it is just so wonderful. And, you know, I started out when I had no business plan. I had nothing. I was so naive, and no one had ever done what I did before. Hmm. There was no plan. There was no path. I went by the seat of my pants. Sounds my good to me. I like that concept. And, the concept's know, ready, fire, aim. That's right. You fired. You went to beauty school. I'm going to do this thing. Now you're trying to aim. And the thing is that when an idea whose time has come, and that's what happened with me, 
that everyone and everything will come. Now, the people that came my way, I would never have chosen. But they were the perfect person for this program to not only to get started and to expand and to continue to grow. And I'm still naive. And, you know, some people like say, oh, you don't want to say that. But to me, it's been a blessing because I was not controlled by any limits. There were no boundaries. And I really believe the grace of God has done this. This is God's plan. And it has just been absolutely wonderful. Things just happen. And everyone and everything that comes, it's at the right time. I mean, this is a story that I forgot about. This young couple heard me speak at one of the shows And he came to me and he said, you know, I need to volunteer with you. I said, oh, he says, yeah, I'm I'm a barber. I said, okay. He says, I I used to cut hair down. I went to barbering school and over the Rhine. I says, okay, so come on down. So they came down. He came to cut hair and he brought his wife to clean the salon and to be the receptionist. Hmm. And we worked, you know, he was fun. And um, one day they told me their story. When they were 17, they got pregnant. They were scared to death. And so they went to see another sister for counseling, and she was so kind to them. And through the whole pregnancy, after the baby was born, and they really felt her love and support. But then after a while, they lost track. So here he hears me speak, and he's reminded of this sister Anne. And he says, gee, I never did pay her back for her kindness. I think I'm going to pay her back now and volunteer with Sister Bonnie. So, you know, he did. And when the idea came for the voucher program, the gift certificates, they were the perfect couple because they had been there in poverty, they had children in school, and they owned a business. I, you know, was not familiar with the school system. I did not know how to run a business. And so they helped me to develop the plans for the policies and the procedures for the Haircuts from the Heart program. And you just never know when you do an act of kindness. It may take 40, 50 years or or 20 years before it comes around, Mm. you know. So kindness never, ever is something to look over lightly because it may take a while for it to germinate and to produce good later on. The law of the universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of my favorite speakers, she would say that uh, growing up, her father was a, a mechanic, an auto mechanic, and so every time he saw a car broken down on the side of the road, he would always stop and help. And his daughter, you know, she was a young daughter back then, you know, Dad, you always have to stop every single time. And he says, yes, I do, because one of these days... You're going to be broken down on the side of the road, and someone will stop to help you. And she said, and it was true. You know, there was times when I was broken down on the side of the road, and all those people my dad helped were nowhere to be found, (laughs) but somebody else did show up. Mm -hmm. Somebody else stopped and helped her. So you're right. What goes around comes around. Cause and effect, karma, call it whatever you want. Um, I believe in it. I I do too. You know, I, first of all, and I will make sure that Fred listens to this. So, <laughs> so, congratulations, Fred, you know, that he helped you out, that he's making a difference. I just, I'm in awe of him, and I think it's wonderful. And, and I, I will tell you right now to the thousands that will listen to this that I will get involved. 
you know, I have influence. I have influence with lots and lots of people, lots of schools, and I'll make sure that I get even more active and involved and be able to spread it to where other parts of the country where we're located, where we have influence. Um, Sister Bonnie, do you have a final message for our listeners? I think my final message would be that everyone and everything will come to you. When you have a dream, when you have a passion, follow it. It comes from God. Follow it because you will get the support from the universe, from the God who loves and supports us all. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Wynn. God bless you and your tears. (laughs) 